Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin reading a very common passage from a very common chapter, beginning in verse 8. And we're going to read through verse 10, though we will probably cover a little bit more than that as we look also at verses 13 and 15. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, let's read. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a stranger, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is a very common chapter that most people have read. There are certain portions of Scripture that if you ask to someone what is their favorite chapter in the Bible, many would possibly say Hebrews chapter 11 as being the hall of fame or examples of faith. It's a chapter we know very well. It goes through many of the characters of the Old Testament, and it is given to us as being those that held faithful throughout their life. These aren't perfect individuals, as we would think of it in the sense of those without sin. Sometimes we look at these examples of being the super saints in which we cannot possibly achieve the heights of faith that they have achieved. Yet when you look through this chapter, you're going to see a bunch of people that made mistakes. But a bunch of people that even through their mistakes continue to press towards the high calling of God and to follow him and his promise by faith. Now here in verse 8, you begin to see the example of Abraham or as he was known in Genesis when he first began as Abram, by faith, Abraham, when he was called out to go into a place which he should hereafter receive for an inheritance, obeyed. We're given this very beginning narrative that we're going to see in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is a marking point in the book of Genesis where you go from a very... Um, macro level view of history. You'll notice that in the book of Genesis, you have the very beginning where it says, in the beginning God. And we have this view of human history where we see God making everything that is made. We see God working, um, though working intimately with certain men and women, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Seth, Noah. Yet at the same time, we're still given a very large view of history, right? It doesn't really get into the specific demographics where we're going to see God following an individual apart from the world as a whole. Now, I understand we're going to see Noah specifically in his case, but that person, that individual that we're given a very up-close view of is still in view of the world in general as God's judgment is going to be poured out upon the world. But in Genesis chapter 12, actually beginning in chapter 11, as we see Abraham being called out or Abram being called out, 
The book of Genesis is changing, in a sense, from being an overall overarching view of human history to now going to show not only how God works in the world all over, but equally how he works with a specific individual and a specific nation. God is not just a God that transcends human history, that works, that he's unknowable, he's moving, but we can't really know it, but he's also a God that moves the individual, amen. He's not just a God out there, he's a God right here. Well, in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to see Abram being called out, and he's already actually left, as we see in Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 through 32. Um, But here in chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, meaning past tense, the Lord had said before this instance were given, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. He's commanded to go. He's commanded to get up and leave. Now, I don't exactly know how God did this. I can imagine the fear that I would feel if God audibly spoke to me in an audible voice to my ears. If I heard God say, Josh Winslet, I would, like all the other saints in the Old Testament, New Testament, probably fall down in fear, scared to death, right? Hearing the verbal voice of God is not something that's just casual. It's something that strikes sobriety and fear in every person that heard it. Now, this should bring us some type of sobriety as we look to the Word of God, because when we open the physical Word of God, it's like God is speaking to us. Amen? This is His Word to us. What is God's will? What is God telling me? I'll tell you what He's telling you. Read the Word of God, and you know what He's telling you. It should hold the same weight, the same gravity. It should hold the same sense of reverence when we read His written Word as if it was we were hearing His audible Word. But here he's going to speak. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, he verbally speaks to him, get thee out of thy country. He tells him to get up and leave from his kindred, from his father's house, unto a land that God himself would show him. So he looks and tells him, get up and go. You will notice here that he doesn't actually tell him where. Now, he does go on to tell him where later when he gets to a land and he says, this land I'm going to give you, but in this specific instance, he just says, get up and go. This seems so contrary to the way I like to know exactly where I'm going, what I'm doing. I like to have GPS marked out. Before we had GPS on our phone, I would get on MapQuest, which most people don't use anymore, and print out the directions and print out a secondary set of directions and a third set of directions, possibly for any way that I would get lost. And I would pick out every little spot I wanted to stop and make sure I was going the right direction. It's gotten worse since I've married a woman that I have said before has uh, planned out our entire life from start to finish. She has our funerals planned out, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) She has everything perfectly planned for our life. And to be told to get up and go and not know where is a frightening thought. You'll remember three weeks ago, the last Sunday that I was able to preach here, I preached from Philippians chapter 4 when it says, Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be full of care, don't be anxious. That's easy to say. You know, I've, I love the saying of Elder Sonny Piles when he has said before he worries very little over that which he has no control. And I've tried to adopt that. I have. I've tried to adopt that mentality of saying if something happens and it's outside of my control, I don't worry about it. However, 
even things that are outside of my control in normal life, I'm still within the area of my comfort zone, right? I'm in my house. Things are outside of my control, but I'm in an environment that I control. I, I may not be controlled of, controlling of a situation, yet at the same time, I am outside of control, yet I am still in control of the circumstances, daily life, the family around me, my friends around me. It's kind of like if something happens, you don't like it, you can still find some comfort in your environment. I, I still have that. Something I've learned over the past two weeks specifically is I'm not quite as empty of care as I thought I was. <laughs> you know, when you're taken out of an area in which that you think that you know just about everything about, I can tell you every back road between here and the Tennessee, Mississippi, Georgia, and Florida state line. I know how to get where I'm going. When I'm pulled out of that place and thrown in a place where I don't know where I'm at, they don't speak my language, they don't look like me. I had people stopping me that had never seen a Caucasian in their life to ask to take a picture with me. <laughs> I, they had never seen a Caucasian in their entire life and had said, st they would stop me and say, friend? And they'd get their camera and take pictures with me. I felt like a celebrity. It was amazing. I don't get that attention here, right? <laughs> I felt beautiful, you know? It was amazing to have people ask to take pictures with me. But, you know, as funny as that is, being in a place when I, am, have, when I have absolutely zero control of nothing, Nothing is the same. Nothing tastes the same. Nothing is alike. It kind of changes your perspective somewhat. Think about how Abraham felt right now. Abraham is not just going on vacation. He's not going to a place that he knows. You know, sometimes you may have a little, little anxiety planning a trip, but you're still typically going to a place you know, especially even if it is not uh, in an area you know. If you're going within the confines of the state of Alabama or the United States, you at least know what to expect, right? Traffic laws, uh, federal laws, the language. You basically know what to expect. Imagine Abraham being told, get up, go. You're going to a place you have no control. You're get up and going to a place in which you don't know. You're going to a place when they're going to hate you. You're going to a place where they don't understand you. You're going to a place that I'm going to give you and take away from the people in which you meet. Not only are you going to a place that you don't know, but the people there that you meet, God is going to take that land and give it to your seed as an inheritance. He's going to do this. All of these ites in the land are going to hate you, which was going to happen because God was giving them that land. Imagine that kind of anxiety. Just get up and go. Just get up and walk. <laughs> Get up and go, Abraham. I'm not telling you exactly where yet. Just go. I don't know if I could handle that type of command. You see, it's even said in Hebrews chapter 11 where we read, and he went out in verse 8, not knowing whither he went. Abraham is told to get up and go. I appreciate having somebody to guide me along in areas of life. My wife guides me. I got her. 
we typically have each other's back to know where we're going, what we're doing. We, we work as a team, you know, and we, we try to focus this. I like having people show me where I need to go. I like having guides. I love it when you walk into a hospital, and especially UAB. You know, they call UAB the university that ate Birmingham. UAB, it's so big. It's half of Southside now. And you walk in and you can walk 10 city blocks and still not get to where you're going. And I thank God for all the people there that are saying, that see you looking like a randomly walking ignorant person and they say go that way you know it's good to have a guide imagine going and having no idea where you're going but you're going you're walking you've left your family you've left your kindred you've left everything you've known you've left the people that speak like you that look like you that talk like you and you're out you went out not knowing where you're going yet you still do it. We're given this view of Abraham in verse 9 by faith. He sojourned in a land of promise, as in a strange land, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs with him of the same promise. He says the way in which that he did this was by faith. Now, this is not to say that if you just have faith, you'll be able to do anything you want to do. Now, we have to remember that faith is an important part to the Christian's walk, but your faith is only as strong as what is is directed towards. Now, what do I mean by that? When somebody says you just need to have faith, what they typically are trying to insinuate is you need to just perk up a little bit, feel better, get happy. I'll tell you, I can try to self-motivate and just think, you know, it's called reframing in um, counseling where you just reframe what's, you know, the way you think about life. Just change the way you think about life. Uh, kind of refocus it, redo it, you know, just it it was bad, but think of all the positives you have. It's a uh, strength-based assessment. You're taking everything that's strong in your life, all the strengths that you have, and you're going to add those up, and then you're just going to say, well, I've got a lot of things going for me. I've got a strength-based perspective. Look at me. I've got this strong. I've got a good personality. i got a car. That's a blessing. You know, that is something that we should do sometimes, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one, the hymn that we sing. We should count our blessings. But the problem is, sometimes those blessings fail. Sometimes those blessings can be taken away. Sometimes those blessings we make into idols and they're stripped from us. Sometimes the blessings we have, we may all of a sudden compare them to other people with blessings and think, well, why can't I have that? And we question the why. So even in counting the blessings, apart from understanding the direction that faith should be pointed, is missing the mark. You see, it's not that men, through some self-help motivation, rose themselves up to feel better about themselves through some positive attitude. It was men, fickle men, men that had problems, men that had issues, men and women, even Sarah herself is mentioned here, men and women who daily failed, yet they understood where to direct their faith in a strong and mighty and powerful God. You see, it wasn't just that their faith, they said, have a positive attitude, we're going to feel better. When it says by faith, it's implicit here, by faith in their God. You see, faith is nowhere mentioned being directed anywhere in the Word of God except for God Himself. It never, you notice it says, do not trust in riches, but it doesn't say do not have faith in riches. It says do not trust. It never says do not have faith in yourself 
Why does it never say that? Because faith is only directed in one place. There is only one place where faith can be directed, and that is in Jesus Christ, God himself. You can trust in riches. You may be able to believe a lie, but faith as it is a gift of God at the new birth given to you, implanted in your soul, the word of God directing our faith towards God. That's the only place that faith can be directed towards. And when it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called out, when it says, by faith, he sojourned, when it says, by faith, it's not saying that he just had a positive attitude, but it's saying through faith in his sovereign God and the promise in which he had given to him, he kept going. You see, this is why he says in verse 10, for he looked for a city. His faith did something to him. It made him look towards something greater, for he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. He says what he was looking for was not the present world. He wasn't looking for the present time. He says in verse 9 again, the way in which he was sojourning in this land of promise was how? Was as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles. He goes on to say later on in the same set of passages, speaking of all the saints who died in faith, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Abraham and all those of faith were living a life as if they were in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. I'll tell you, the past two weeks, they asked me, how were the hotels? They really were nice. Now, I will say, I, I, just to give you, I know a lot of folks have said they cannot wait to hear about our trip. It was fun. It was. Uh, the first two days, two and a half, three days, we're in Beijing, um, then, which is where the uh, Forbidden City is. You know, it's real nice. We saw the Great Wall of China while we were there, of course, as the typical American. I got a selfie of myself on the Great Wall of China. It was fun. Then we flew to Kunming for a week, which is where she was from. And then we flew to Guangzhou, which is a much more Western-styled city. Lots of folks from all over the country were there, or all over the world, I should say, were there. You know, it's fun the first two days, the lights, the experience kind of the feel that I'm not at home, right? You know, you fly into a place that you don't know. Nobody looks like you. Everybody is staring at you. You catch people taking photographs of you and videoing you as you're walking around. That's kind of fun and exciting, right? The first two days, you're like, I saw the Great Wall of China. I put both my hands on the Great Wall of China. You can think, wait, man, it felt so cool to be able to stand in the Forbidden City, which is so funny because we're in the Forbidden City. <laughs> you know, it's not really forbidden anymore. It's just a name from yesteryear. And you think this is so cool, but it didn't take long as we're there for that shine to slowly wear off, right? You begin to miss something. It was cool the first day. It was fun the first day. It was interesting the first day. The glittering lights, the, the, the beauty, the sparkle, the, the novelty of it all was so much fun. And you we're sitting there enjoying ourselves. And then we're able to get our girl from the orphanage. And the work really begins then. But even before then, it 
had already tapered off. Why is that? Because as beautiful as it was, as the food was so interesting, as to taste things, to see things, experience things that I had never done before and may never do again, yet after the lights begin to dim, my mind goes back to some place that I'm really, really desiring, my home. It made me feel like I just I didn't want to be there. It makes you feel like you just don't want to be there anymore. The, about a week into the trip, we get a phone call and we FaceTimes our boys twice a day. When it was at night there, it was morning here. And we'd always work it out, try to, to where we could FaceTime them and see them. And I remember one time we FaceTimed them our morning. It was their night. And one of my sons had, was sick and come to find out he had an ear infection. He was crying from the pain. He wasn't feeling good. Well, here's the thing. Over the years of both of their lives, eight years and five years, when there has been a single boo-boo, a single scratch, and I don't consider myself a hover parent, but every single time there has been any issue and a boy's cried, I've been there to hug, hold, and comfort. When I am literally halfway around the world and my boy's crying because he's in pain, we hung up that phone and both of us began to weep. We began to miss home. All those new experiences didn't mean anything. They really weren't that important because my family was somewhere else. My home was somewhere else. Now you compare this on a spiritual level to the way that Abraham felt here as he is sojourning. And the way that it says in tabernacles, the idea is here a tent. He dwelt not in a permanent home, but dwelt in a tent. He considered his living spaces not permanent. Where he was at, he was simply dwelling in on a temporary basis, waiting for something better. You know, in all those wonderful hotels we stayed at, one of them was a five-star hotel. I'll tell you, I have never eaten breakfast like that. And I told my kids on a, on a FaceTime, I said, you know what, we're having some great breakfast, but I cannot wait till I get home to have that bowl of Lucky Charms. Who looks forward to that <laughs> compared to the food you were getting? But there's a difference between what may seem glittering lights of the world and the taste of home, right? The taste of home, whatever it is, is better than anything else you have away from it. And Abraham here is dwelling in tents. He's dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And the reason he was doing it, and this is both a reason and a motivation for Abraham. This is both why he was doing it, and it was equally what solicited a heart to look Past the present moment, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He compares the things of the world in which he was sojourning to the things of God. Now, my house has a foundation, and everywhere I stayed the past two weeks has a foundation. I, I trust that all of your homes have foundations, whether it's a slab house or whether it's a crawl space. We all got foundations underneath, and none of us just built straight on the dirt. But when it gives this view of the difference between a tent and what God does, I can build the strongest foundation I want to on a home. I can build the pillars 15 feet deep in the earth to try to keep it from having any type of erosion underneath and having the house settle. I can do all I want, but the limitations I have to this world, one, 
this world in general with life is so unsettling and it's so moving and it's always in flux. We're always changing. I can build houses and I can build financial security, but it can be gone in a second as I'm living. But at the end, whether it is I die and leave it behind or Jesus Christ comes back and everything in this world is burnt up in a fervent heat, we literally dwell in tabernacles. Everything we have is temporal. It is finite. It has an end. And this is why uh, Paul here in Hebrews paints the difference between what we have now and what we have in Christ because what we have now is simply temporary. But what we have in God is forever eternal and it should solicit a view in us, a mentality in us that it did in them. Now, we can't say that we died in faith not having received the promises in the sense of Hebrew 11. Why is that? Because we have received the promise of Jesus Christ, the promised seed that has come, the promised seed that was promised first in Genesis chapter 3, the woman's seed shall bruise the serpent's head. The seed to whom was promised to Abraham, as it speaks of in Galatians, that true seed, that singular seed, which is Christ. The promise to all of the Old Testament saints, whether it was... Um, Abraham, whether it was uh, David, no matter who it was, that true promise, the fulfillment of everything God did in the Old Testament was given to us in Christ. There, so there is one sense in which we're not waiting for that promise, right? We've been given the fullness of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of the gospel. Yet at the same time, in another sense, we're still pilgrims, as Peter would call us, right? We're still pilgrims and strangers in this land. You speak a tongue that nobody else speaks. Your heart and mouth has been changed to where you're different. Your language is different. Your thoughts are different. This isn't your home. This isn't where you wish to be. Um, in the sense of family, you can parallel it. Yes, you know, we can say, well, we still have our family here. We still can consider ourselves at home. I've noticed this in individuals that live a longer life. Now, a young man, a young woman may not understand the immediate sense of their mortality. And what I mean by that is how we're all one breath away from death, right? I had the, I hate to call it a blessing, but it was a blessing in a sense to see many family members pass away in a young age. I had, I, I lost two great grandparents when I was in my teens and a grandmother. And then in my 20s, I lost two of my grandfathers. And when I was 19 years old, I lost my best friend in a car accident. And, you know, a lot of folks may not lose a grandparent, even a grandparent, until they get to where they're in their late 20s or early 30s. But one thing it did when I lost so many people at a younger age, the reality of my mortality really sank in. And you meet somebody that's a lot older, somebody that has lived here for 80, 90 years, and they will begin to tell you that they have slowly come to the realization that they know more people in glory than they do living. They know more people that have went on to be with the Lord. They can name you people, whether it's in family or church, to where they think, I wish I could see them one more time. 
I've had many people tell me how much they miss their mother and dad and how much they miss their parents or maybe their siblings and they miss and they long to see them again. And they can go through their family, they can go through their friends, they can go through their church and talk about the various people that they are looking forward to seeing in heaven's pure world one day. And as they live longer and people pass on and go to be with the Lord, they themselves slowly seek another country because their family has went on to where they desire to be. You see, there is this view here that we are given, that we are not seeking the present moment. Now, we make our homes here, we make our lives here, we make our family here, we make all of this here, but ultimately our hearts, our minds, our desires are heavenward. When we view ourselves compared to what we really desire, we can really see the Word of God and in verse 13 when it says, and embrace them, the promises, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. When we understand the biblical attitude that this is not our home, we will have the same mentality, the same feel. The beauty of this world loses its shine. The food that we think that we just have to have loses the taste. Now, I, I will tell you, the first day that we were in Beijing, uh, we went into this place and they gave us like in multiple uh, uh, choices to eat. And when you flip through, the translations are always funny. Um, one of them was called Lover's Lung, and it says Fungus Cake. And I'm like, well, they should have gotten somebody to read this because it looks tasty, but I'm not eating anything called Fungus Cake, right? And so, you know, but we got our guide out there, Andy, to, to pick the food. We said, you know what's good, and you know what we won't like. You order it for us. He picked pork, chicken, duck, and beef made ways I've never even seen it. You take the duck skin, dip it in sugar, and eat it, and that sounds disgusting. It was the best thing I tasted the whole time there. That sounds strange, but it was amazing. And, you know, as fun as that was, we transitioned. We slowly transitioned from eating all this various kinds of food, these novelties, all of these things that we had never done before to where we're like, Rebecca would say, you just want to go to Pizza Hut and pick something up for us? <laughs> We're in a land, a foreign country, a place we've never been. We're around food we will probably never see again. Yet slowly, from the time we begin to the time that it ends, our mentality changes. Let's try something new. To You just want to go buy McDonald's? I know we never thought we'd say that, right? I've never woke up in the morning and said, I want McDonald's. But why did we do that? We desire to be home. We desire to be somewhere, diff somewhere different from where we were at, somewhere that felt like comfort, somewhere that felt like we were supposed to be there and we belonged. We didn't belong there. We didn't feel like we knew that place. Equally, a child of God who has been born again by the Spirit of God that's been made to turn their heart, their faith, their mind to heaven, that person who has been touched by grace... As the song we sang, it changes our mind, our heart. It changes the way we think. The blessed spirit, like the wind, moves when and where it pleases. And it changes us. And it makes us desire something different. I'll tell you. It's... This should be something that we feel slowly more and more as we grow in grace. Now we can stunt our growth 
by enjoying the glittering lights, by enjoying the city that now presently exists, but it's never going to truly mean the, what this city does. Now, in verse 14 and 15 of Hebrews 11, it says, For they that say such things declare, those, basically, that those that say that they are strangers and pilgrims, those that confess they seek something greater, those to whom have embraced the promise, they that say those things declare plainly. They openly, plainly declare that they seek a country. They seek somewhere else. And truly, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now, they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly, where for God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Brothers and sisters, do you desire something different? Now, life tends to be almost therapeutic or pacify us at times. It can seem to make us feel good. Sir, I'll tell you, yesterday I, I have a feeling that some people felt pacified after a Saturday down south. Some fans that wear crimson, some fans that wear blue and orange, they felt pacified. This world felt right, right? Now, I'll tell you, some fans that wore orange and white, their life does not feel as happy today as they may have wished it had of. You know, some, things in this life can pacify you, but ultimately, they can't fulfill you. They can't sustain you. The only thing that will sustain you in this present life is going to be this mentality desiring a better country, a country with a foundation, a heavenly country, that we can be assured that God is not ashamed to be called our God. He has prepared for us a city. Brothers and sisters, do you feel that you talk differently? Do you feel that you desire something different? Do you feel as though you know more people in a home not of this world than you do here? Do you feel like this world has nothing else to give you? Praise God, you are a pilgrim here. You're sojourning in a place that you don't know where you're going. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it is. But you have a country that you are going towards. You have a future horizon that is set. You have a future home in which you know you will reach. The one thing that kept motivating me every single day to just keep going the past two weeks was knowing soon I am going to hold my children. I warned my oldest. He can't stand hugs and sugars from me. If I try to hug him, he ducks. I don't know how he does it. He ducks so well and maneuvers and runs. Uh, we kind of pick at him because you try to give him a sugar, he can, he can maneuver pretty well. My youngest will hug me, but I warned both of them before we got back. I said, I want you to know that if I see you and I cry, I'm not sad. And just know that when I hug you and kiss you, you're not getting away. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it's that type of emotion, that type of fervency that we should embrace the promise of God. We've got a country set before us that when we're crying, we're not sad. That when we embrace it, we're not letting go. Brothers and sisters, embrace it. Confess it. Confess that you're a stranger and a pilgrim here. Confess that you desire a better country. Know that God is not ashamed to be called your God because he has prepared for you a better country. This is not your world. We look for another. Just like Abraham, we're going where we know not, but praise be unto God. 
We know that our destination is sure. We have a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessed hope we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, gracious Lord, that you have given us this promise that though we are a stranger and pilgrim here on this earth, and though, Lord, we are overwhelmed at times with our own sin, with our own transgression, that we are left to felt empty, Lord, from this world. And we no longer desire its food, its sustenance, its places to live. That, Lord, the shining lights that it offers no longer, Lord, gives us any sense of happiness. Let us turn our hearts, our minds, and our faith to you. Knowing, Lord, that we are just pilgrims and strangers here and we desire a far better country whose streets are brighter paved with gold, whose, Lord, light is your Son, Jesus Christ, to whom there is no darkness in his presence, there is nothing to pull us aside or to, Lord, dim the excitement in which we have to where we will one day cry in happiness as you wipe away our tears, that we in humility will lay down before you our crown, saying, Thou art worthy to receive honor and glory. Lord, as we bow down before you, thankful that we have a country that is not of this present existence, that will not be burnt up, that we have a place that cannot be taken away. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to confess that we are not of this world. Lord, let us have a heavenly mind. Let us, Lord, appreciate your church, which is a small light post here. In Christ's name, and amen.